Ladies and gentlemen, I have the smartest strength and conditioning mind in the world, Phil DeRue. But first, I want to say happy birthday, Phil. Thank you, man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the smartest, but uh, I'll, I'll take the compliment. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, you just had your birthday. So are you a are you kind of guy that, um, you know, celebrates his birthday and goes out and do stuff or you just kind of work through it? No, nah, no. Nah. I mean, the best thing that I can do is spend time with my family, work on some projects that I need to get finished and uh, and keep it moving. You know, I'll have some time off where I can spend it with my wife. And I'm, I'm older now. I mean, I'm 34. So the time of me going out and partying like that is uh, it's been passed. So I, I just try to stay focused on the goal and the task at hand and, and keep it moving. Yeah. So before it was, it's kind of funny because before the podcast, I was thinking and uh, you're kind of the only one that I've repeated. And you're the only one that does his your own podcast kind of just by yourself. Usually it's just you and the other person on uh, the podcast. And people people don't understand. It's harder than you might think to make something s- seem normal when it's really not. Now, you know, people don't, you know, sit there and talk to each other with microphones on and a camera. You know, so it's kind of, it's kind of difficult. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that because I'm such a, a conversationalist, I think that, you know, communicating no matter where it is, whether it be in front of a microphone or at a party or in the on the gym floor, uh, becomes a little bit more second nature if you do it enough. And I've, I've been able to do that and really understand, like, focusing in on, on understanding what I'm trying to relay over to the audience, but also, you know, who I'm talking to. So I'm actually trying to listen as intently as possible. And with that, that kind of negates the fact that there is microphones and cameras and all of that in my face and lights in my face. Um, cause I'm focused on who I'm actually talking to. And that, that's something that you'll get uh, down the line and it gets better. Um, and it's, it's hard to do it over the phone, but when you have somebody that's in house and personal, that's why I like to do it more one-on-one in house, uh, because again, it gets more personable and I can, and I can actually truly get into the conversation, but, this is a good starting point, like getting on the phone, getting, you know, getting to talking with people. It's a good thing we've been able to do this once before. Um, so then we have that, that lines of communication open. So, I mean, it'll get better, you know, in time. Yeah. Like I said, you was, you're the first repeat I've done. And um, you talked, you said you was trying to listen. And that's one thing that I've noticed because when I started, you know, I didn't like my first episode and I don't think anybody likes what they hear or see the first time they do anything. But, you know, I tried to listen to that one. And then, you know, you know, if, if you're doing something and you don't like it, you know, how do you expect other people to like it? So I tried to listen to them episodes, try to get better from what I saw or what I heard and then get better. And one thing that I noticed was used to, I used to have a piece of paper in front of me and I would, you know, I would, do the call or do an in-person one. And every time they was done talking, I would just get to the next thing in line. And I wasn't really listening to what they said. I was more along the lines of, you know, what's next, what's next, what's next. But I think it's more of like a conversational thing. And if you can't really, you know, um, carry a conversation, then this ain't something that you want to be doing because that's kind of what this is. It's just more of a conversation. And 
I don't want this to be more of like an interview thing. I want it to be more of like, you know, me and you talking. If there, even if there wasn't, you know, like a microphone or like a recording going, I want it to sound as natural as possible. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the difference between podcasting and interviewing. You know, if you're an interviewer, you obviously are going to ask them questions because that's why they're on your podcast. And that's, that's something it comes from more of an understanding of, of I'm interested in actually understanding what this person does and, and why they're so special. So as an interviewer or as a podcaster interviewing, the goal isn't to just spout out answer questions and get answers is to elaborate on the question and then look and listen to the answers that that person has given you. And then you can keep flowing with that actual question because there is some things that you're going to want to ask based off of the question and based off of the answer. So when that answer comes, there may be another question based off that answer, as opposed to just getting right into the next question. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to get back to kind of the intro part. And uh, if people don't remember Phil, he's the, he's a strength and conditioning coach in what part of Florida is it? Uh, South Florida. So Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. Okay, so he's a strength and conditioning coach in South Florida, and uh, he's been on the podcast before, and, you know, I like the conversation so much that, you know, I tried to get him back onto the podcast, and it's kind of funny because uh, I took a break for a while because of the football season was going on, and I didn't want, to, I didn't want people to be like, oh, you played a bad game because all you've focused on right now is podcasting. I didn't want that to come up, so I quit podcasting for a while and, um, or for a few months. And I knew that after the season, I was going to come back to it. And in the middle of the season, I was, you know, I was thinking about what the first episode might be back. And, you know, I was like, I was like, well, I'm going to do a recap of the season. And then what? And then I was like, well, I, I got on a break. And I was like, I really liked the Phil DeRue podcast, that episode. So I wanted to repeat this one because it's been a while since I've done a podcast so I'm kind of familiar with you so it wouldn't be as nerve-wracking coming back so that's the reason I have you back on is because I like the conversation so much and plus you're kind of doing um something that I um I want to do when I get you know into college and kind of graduate is kind of strength and conditioning stuff so one thing I do want to ask you not only for myself but for people that are listening that also want to do that stuff is what kind of route did you go to get to where you are now, strength and conditioning and coaching these uh, athletes? Yeah. I mean, there's several different routes that I've seen, you know, individuals in this, in this industry take, you know, the, the general route would be to go to school, get your degree, uh, start off as some sort of intern, you know, then do a GA spot, then find your way through the academic setting um, and then work for either a college, high school, or professional setting. You know, that it's obviously that's, that's more streamlined. There's, there's ups and downs, undulations throughout that process. For me personally, uh, I was a football, I played college football for Alabama State, and I was uh, getting my exercise science degree, but the goal wasn't to be a strength and conditioning coach. I actually wanted to play in the NFL. And I, I love the weight room. I love training. I love weight training. I've been I've been lifting weights since I was 13 years old. So that wasn't anything new. I love to build my body, get stronger, get more powerful. 
Uh, but, you know, my, my career got cut short. I had to leave college or I had to leave the university that I was at and help my family out. And so I left, came back to Florida, uh, finished up my degree, uh, but I was still wanting to compete at something. And so I ended up you know, starting MMA, more so just combat sports in general. I was doing jujitsu, boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, all of that. Uh, in the beginning, I just wanted to focus on boxing. So I I took a liking to, to more of the stand-up side, but I knew that I had to transition into MMA because, let's face it, that's where a lot of the uh, a lot of what everybody wanted was going right so all of the awareness for combat sports was heading in the mma direction so i started doing that and with that being said i started to you know figure out oh i need to make some money obviously i need to, i need to pay for training i need to pay for myself i'm about 20 years old at the time and i started training people and taking them to to like a gold's gym and the LA fitness and, and charging them like $20, $20 an hour, $20 a session or something there. And I was just basically doing that as much as I possibly could on the side. And at that time I was, uh, I was getting ready for my fights and, and working with another strength and conditioning coach that was local. And he was more of a strong man, powerlifting uh, type of individual. He had a powerlifting gym. So I worked out of that gym. And from there, I started to understand how to train for powerlifting, how to get stronger, like full-on maximal strength. <clears throat> and even though I learned a lot from playing college ball, it was more Olympic lifting. It wasn't so much of powerlifting. So when I transitioned over to that and working with this individual, I, I got to understand how to truly put together a program and build up strength that was going to correlate over to the fight game but also to any athletic endeavor. So while he was training me, I would stay after and I would watch him train the football kids and, and some of the baseball kids that he had in high school. And uh, so I was starting to be an intern at that point. And then eventually he asked me if I wanted to come in and be an independent contractor and train people out of the gym. So that's when it started my career as, as a trainer. And from there I built the, built the, you know, recognition and, my credentials up, ultimately opening up my own facility at the age of 22. So right from the jump, it was an entrepreneurial venture as opposed to taking the academic route. Now, there's there's several ways to do that. And going right into the private sector, if you don't understand business, it's going to be very hard for you to progress, right? You're going to go through a lot of trials and tribulations. And I learned that very quickly. So the good thing was that I knew what I was doing was appropriate for that person that I was working with. So I was servicing very well, but the business side, the finance side, that's not my background. I didn't have any real education in that. The only thing that I knew was how to hustle, right? How to work yeah. hard and grind it out and get people to buy into my system. And from there you can be successful, but only for a limited time. Yeah. So I went from, building an eight like i started at like an 800 square foot you know give or take square foot facility which was like uh it was like a storage closet primarily and from there i had like 12 members and i grew that from from 800 square feet to 1900 square feet to 11,000 square feet which was a big jump wow but because of the space and because of the time i didn't have any other options 
Yeah. So it was either I take 1,900 square feet, make it work, but we're busting out the seams, or, you know, I would have to get a new space, but the only space available next door to me mm-hmm. was the entire bay, which was 11,000 square feet. Now, we, we split it up over time, so I didn't take the full-on 11,000, but 11,000 was open for me. Right? I didn't pay for it, but it was open for me. That makes sense. Yeah. So we divided it. But I would go there, and, and the 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 uh, landlord was cool, so I, I was able to get in there and and train and use the whole space, but not pay for it, pay for it all together. And then six months later, I ended up taking the entire space. Now I went from twelve members to somewhere around two hundred to three hundred members going in and out of the gym on a constant basis. Wow. The problem with that, the problem with that was that it was a revolving door, and mm-hmm. the place where I was, where I had the gym. It wasn't a very affluent area. It was an up-and-coming area. Yeah. So there's there's going to be some issues there. But, you know, the thing that I've learned primarily is understanding uh, people, understanding how to keep people in the door, um, mm-hmm. treat them the way they want to be treated, and create a community and yeah. an environment that, you know, people feel like they are a part of. Mm-hmm. And that's what really creates long-term value for your business. Mm-hmm as far as training goes, just get them results. You yeah. know, you got to know your stuff and you got to increase your awareness and increase your value over time. So learning every day, reading, going to seminars, going, I, I couldn't even tell you how much money I've actually spent on continuing education mm-hmm. to increase my value. Yeah. And the good thing about that also is that it helps you meet people. So this networking that's involved in that. And then as you build a brand, you end up, being able to network with other high level individuals like when i started coaching i did i I looked up to guys like joe defranco and louis simmons you know and 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 lauren landau yeah and now i can call these guys whenever i need you know need to talk or Mm. they call me if they have you know anything that they want to ask me you know so there's those lines of communication open based upon you know the leverage that you have because of your brand building so that's another that's another thing that i'm really talking more so about with a lot of coaches and I'm going to do another seminar uh, doing a summit in Poland and I'm going to be talking about brand brand awareness and brand building for for trainers mm-hmm. because if you don't have that in the private sector it's going to be very hard for you to make some money and actually make it a living so yeah. you you I mean, said that's, that's primarily the the quick version of what happened <laughs> yeah you said you have like you said you said 200 uh, people coming in and out of your gym, uh, at, you know, author, how, how, um, how much are you actually like in your gym or is it every day or is it like open, like, you know, Monday through Friday or how often are you doing this? Well, now I transitioned. So from that, from that gym, I ended up closing that gym and then I, and then I got the full-time job at an MMA gym that was very big at the time, American Top Team. Oh and yeah. So I had to, I I sold that gym and I started working with the fighters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From there, I still wanted to be a part of other people's training. So not only MMA but also judo, jujitsu, yeah, boxing, and then just general people. So I ended up opening up another facility down south where, you know, the MMA gym was. And so for me, I kind of like the private semi-private facility i don't like the big box gyms mm-hmm. I, I try to go into a gold gym or la fitness today 
and I just couldn't do it, man. It just it, for me, I like to have the ability to turn the music up and and yeah. and keep everything situated around actual training, right? So yeah. um, the focus needs to be set on that. So when I have a facility, I'm, I'm making sure that we create that vibe and that energy to where we can get true results from the people that walk into the gym. So right now it's a semi-private facility. Um, we open it up for some members that want to come in, but we're, we're capping it at a hundred members tops. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're not there just yet because I did open up a new facility in Deerfield beach, which is, uh, a little bit closer to, um, to the other MMA gyms around. So this just happened, right? You just opened that gym just now. I was, just opened in August, yeah. Yeah. Opened this one in August. Yeah, I just saw that on your uh, Instagram story. I was looking through Instagram before we started. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. I mean, it's it's a process, bro. Like, every time we open up a new facility, um, it's a process. And, you know, it's not, it's not, it's a focus of mine, but, again, I have so much going on that I want to make sure that the main focus is based upon, you know, working with the athletes that I have, but also working with the coaches that I coach now and mentor. Mm -hmm. And then from there, seminars and, and speaking engagements, things like that. Yeah. So I know you, you work with a lot of fighters. Uh, and I, are you working with them all the time or just when they're preparing for a fight? And I actually have a follow-up question for this answer. I mean, most of them, if they live in Florida, they're mm -hmm. training with me year round. If they okay. do not live in Florida and they come for, for camps like a Dustin Poirier, you know, they used to come, he you know, yeah. lives in Louisiana. So mm -hmm. he comes when he goes into camp, mm -hmm. uh, for the most part though, most of these guys make the transition and move to Florida because it just, it's a good spot to be at and, and to train year round in because of the weather never changes really. Yeah. So, so when you're training, yeah, I'll have these guys year -round more yeah. so when you're training, let's say for a fight, let's say they don't live in Florida. They, you know, they flew down and they're training with you for a fight. How much mm -hmm. time are you spending with them and how much, you know, weight training or just straight conditioning are you doing with them? I mean, that's, that's dose dependence. It's case, it's a case by case. So mm -hmm. if an athlete is very elite, and let's say, for instance, their goal and their their weak links or their limitations is strength and power, mm -hmm. then they would be working with me more so throughout the weeks as opposed to doing their skills training or conditioning. Mm -hmm. Now, if an athlete is new to the game, let's say they come from like a football background or they're very strong or very powerful, um, we may only need to do two times a week with them inside the weight room, yeah. if that, and then a lot of that stuff is going to be predicated towards the endurance of that actual power production that they're producing. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's, it's to build up their skill acquisition. So they'll be spending a lot more time in the MMA gym as opposed to in the weight room. Yeah. Now, the minimal, um, then I'll see a guy probably two times a week. You know, one time a week, if they're getting super close to the fight and let's say weight cut is the issue um, and they're limited with their time and they're limited with their energy, so the goal is to like kind of maximize our time while we have them inside the gym. And then from there, it's giving them homework, like mobility training and, and like breath work exercises mm -hmm. to enhance recoverability primarily. So there's a lot of things that go into an MMA uh, preparation phase. Yeah. But and that's the general specifics of it. Obviously, anybody likes to see their, um, their work pay off. But, you know, 
most people when they you know work for something they're the ones out there you know doing it and you know whatever they wanted to accomplish they're the one achieving this but in your case or in coaches cases for that matter they're not the ones actually you know out there performing or you know in the game or in the fight so how how much um this pleasure is a weird word, but I'm going to use it anyway. How much pleasure does it give you, you know, if a fighter come, if you're um, working with a fighter and he says, Hey, I want to, um, I want, I want to be more powerful. And mm-hmm. in the, in that fight that you're training for, let's say he knocks the guys out, the guy out. Mm-hmm. How much pleasure does that give you knowing that you, that you were the one, you know, that worked with him on the power and then you see it, you know, come through. I mean, it's always good to see any success happen yeah. with a, with an athlete that you're working with. Mm-hmm. I guess the best thing for me is to have them see it. So yeah. when they see it, they feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's more. I guess I feel better and in that perspective, as opposed to I, you know, I did that. Yeah, it was me that did that. So I don't I don't look at it that way, but. Mm-hmm. You know, if they see it, that's always a good thing. That's always a plus. Absolutely. And that gives me more of that uh, sense of accomplishment in that perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, I didn't I didn't mean to make it sound like you were trying to, like, you know, coaches are selfish or anything. But um, is there a part of you that you had to work on to be like, you know, you know, I, you know, I put this uh, – um, ability into you or was it always just help the fighters make sure they see the results or was it ever a point where you had to switch your mindset at all for myself or for for the for for, for, uh, for you coaching so for me coaching. yeah was there ever a mentality switch where you was like um, um yeah in the yeah. beginning in the beginning when i was working with like higher level elite guys mm-hmm it was a switch because I needed to make sure that I was able to coach them in the right ways Mm. as opposed to having a blanket communication strategy. So learning people and learning different types of people and how they react and how they respond to tonality, Mm. to different cueing techniques, uh, different, just general, generally different, things that I would talk about to get them to move forward, to get them to do the things that we need them to do. So motivation and and inspiration, um, depending on the person, but most of those guys that I was working with at the time, uh, they don't need that motivation. They're they're They have it intrinsically. Mm -hmm. So for me, I had to back off of that and be more strategic and analytical in the process of training. So getting actually, it increased my intelligence and it increased my ability to, um to relay over information in a in a quality space to where they knew that that was going to transfer over to the fight so having the ability to reframe what i'm actually saying to give them more quote-unquote buy-in to what they're doing inside the weight room or wherever they're at yeah you you talked about coaching uh you know pro fighters or pro athletes um you know before podcasts before games you know i get really nervous or you know anybody gets really nervous but from a coaching standpoint 
it was there ever a time where you was about to, you know, uh, let's say the first time you you coached Dustin, for example, was is there ever any nerves for you to, you know, make sure that, you know, I need to get this guy where he wants to be or where he needs to be? Or, or is it, you know, I've done this before, I've done this a thousand times, and, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But I think I think that, um, you know, if you don't get nervous for stuff, you know, I don't think you care about it. You know, nerves, I mean, you know. I would say this. I would say this. I wouldn't say nervous. I would say excited. Yeah. You know, and, and because when you do it for so long, like you, you'll, you'll understand this going forward. You get excited and nerves will be there, but nervousness in a form of, being afraid of outcome Mm -hmm. or being unsure of your abilities is a negative thought process. Yeah. When you are actively engaged and you are sure of your abilities with no insecurities, then you get excited about new opportunities. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's a little bit nerve wracking, but it becomes a sense of energy building. So when I started at, at Top Team and I was working with Dustin and I was working with Tisha Torres and Joanna and Jacek and Hector Lombard and all these people and I'm name dropping them so that you know the ramifications were very high. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I had a sense of excitement, right? Because I was like, I know that what I do with them is going to help them. Yeah. And, and yes, I cannot mess this up, but I do know that when it comes to this stuff, I know what I'm doing. So there's there's other things that go in line with that. Like, obviously, I don't want to get them hurt. Yeah. So that was one thing. But you just got to be smart, right? We have to mm-hmm. understand, you know, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And then that, that comes with assessing the athlete, understanding their ramifications, understanding their, their compensation strategies, all that. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> when it comes down to it, just don't be stupid, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it, it, you just got to use common sense a lot of times. Yeah, you know, but that that was never really a full issue for me. Yeah, positive self talk. I think I saw a post. It was uh, Aaron Donald from the uh, NFL, and uh, mm-hmm. you know he he'd been in the game for a while, and he was like, "Come on, a, come on, a," and he was you know trying to hype himself up. So I think that yeah. you know positive self talk can go a long way because even before this podcast, you know, I was, you know, I was a little anxious about it. And I was like, I was like, you know, you, you can do this. Like, you know, you've done it. You've done it. This is my, what, I don't know, probably 20, I'm probably getting to my 30th episode. So, you know, this positive talk, I think is a huge part of uh, performing. Well, and you're young, bro. Like you're young. You haven't had real life experience yet. You know what I'm saying? Like when you get, older a lot i mean it's funny man when people get older they just stop caring (laughs) you know like you just stop really worrying so much about very very low i not say low but just not so much important things that you know that you can work on because it's not it's not something that's a make or break it's not Mm -hmm. something that you have to be you know fully uh i don't know i guess i guess the word would be just not worrying about the things that you can't that you can't control you know mm-hmm. and so for that it becomes a lot easier you know just control the controllables yeah. and allow yourself to understand what's appropriate for you mm-hmm. you know picking up my son right now so 
mind the noise. That's all right. Uh, but I do. I don't want to hop ship, um, or I don't want to switch topics too much right now. But there is a question that I thought of earlier that I wanted to ask you, and it's about um, some recovery stuff. And obviously, you can do ice baths or heat or whatever you want to do. But I want to know what's the because I don't you know I'm in small town in Kentucky. I don't really know a lot of you know the high tech stuff. What is uh, cryotherapy? What is that? I mean, cryotherapy is from a basic term it's just dry ice right mm-hmm. so it's it's gonna it's gonna cool down your body temperature it's very cold mm-hmm. uh, but it's very quick so you a lot of athletes like it because they don't have to submerge themselves into a cold environment right they don't have to submerge themselves in ice water or an ice bath so on and so forth mm-hmm. so it's not as painful but it's still a shock to the nervous system and you still can get some benefit of it mm-hmm. i think that from a general perspective uh, overall, just based off of some of the studies, you know, I think that submerging yourself in cold water is a lot more beneficial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it's just it's each his own. You know, yeah. the goal really is to allow the athlete to to recover and do it in a manner to where, you know, it, it, it's not going to be a struggle to get them in there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. you want to get the best thing for them, and you don't want to have to, you know, get into an argument every time they have to go in there. So yeah whatever works for the athlete and also time efficiency. Like, like if, and a lot of people don't have cryotherapy. Cryotherapy is expensive. Yeah. You know, so getting in a, in a you know, you're in Kentucky, just get an ice bath, mm-hmm. you know, that, that will do until, you know, you can, you can do higher technology yeah. when you get into like a cold plunge mm-hmm. or, or some type of cold tub type of deal. Yeah. But yeah, ice bath works plenty. And I'm pretty sure we talked about this last time, but for people who were just, or that didn't listen to the last one to listen to this one, what is a good uh, ice bath temperature if they wanted to do it, and how long would you say that they need to stay in? I mean, the coldest you're going to get, I mean, for ice in general, just doing it regularly, it's probably going to be about 50 degrees mm-hmm. Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, I've, been in, I've been in ice tubs as, as cold as 42 degrees, which is very cold, yeah. and you're going to stay in there for about three minutes. Anything longer than that, then it's going to be detrimental. But mm-hmm. I would say somewhere around there, three minutes. Um, anything like hotter than 50 degrees, mm-hmm. you're looking at like 60 degrees. You're going to have to stay in there a little bit longer. Uh, but you want to get around 40 to 50 degrees is, is somewhat the sweet spot. Mm, nice. And before we wrap this up, I do want to talk about UFC 281 because it just happened. Uh, you know, uh, last weekend, I believe, right? Yeah, last weekend. Yeah. Dustin and Michael Chandler, what a fight. Yeah. What a fight. Yeah. And there I mean, was very, very similar um, personalities. Yeah. Guys, you know, Dustin, I, I, obviously I've known Dustin for years. I uh, worked with him for, I think, 11 or 12 fights. You know, Dustin's kind of like, a, you know, he's like a family member to me, man. But, you know, and then Michael Chandler, I've had, I've met Chandler a couple of times. We've had dinner together. Um, super nice guy, family man, same concept. Like they, they both are very uh, well-respected individuals and very humble, mm-hmm. but they're also savages, man. Both of them are, are fighters at yeah. heart. Mm-hmm. So it was a good matchup. I think that it was uh, one of those fights that like everybody wanted and should see. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a fight fan, this is something that you definitely want to stay tuned to. Um, and it and it delivered. You know, yeah. fight of the night, a lot of blood being spewed and. You know, a lot of blood being 
uh, <laughs> like uh, blown out of the nose <laughs> on the nose and everything yeah out of the nose yeah and uh yeah that makes sense you know it's michael chandler it's it's dustin Poirier, so you're gonna see some blood for sure yeah. but it was good man i was glad that dustin got the win you know um on to the next one i think i like to see uh I'm going to get with him, do an off-camp program here in a, in, a, in a little bit. i like to see him fight against somebody in the top three, you know. Yeah. I would even like – Even if he decides to go to 170, yeah. I kind of like that more than anything. I would so, kind of like to see him fight uh, Oliveira again. Would you Would you be interested in that? Fight, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if I, I like that fight. Um, just stylistically, I don't like the fight. I, I think that – if anything, I like to see him go to 170 and mm. and and do something up there. Yeah, fight some of those guys, and because he wants he wants big fights, he wants fun fights, mm-hmm. and for that, you know, it's gonna take him to go to a different weight class or or, you know, maybe an Oliveira fight or another Justin Gagey fight would be cool. Yeah, you know, but uh, but he already did that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, uh, the, but there was two fights on that card that I can remember that it could have ended in the first round if there was say 10 more seconds left. The first round of Dustin and Michael Chandler, and then the first round of uh, Izzy and Alex Pereira. Pereira. Both of them, if there was 10 more seconds, the, yep. both of those fights could have ended in the first round. Oh, yeah. 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 It was good. It was a good card. Yeah, it was. It was a good card. And then you just said about um, Yuani and Jacek. Um, yep. Z- uh, Wei Li, she won. Uh-huh. She won the title. Man, that car was stacked now that I think about it. Man, MMA is so crazy, man. Like, who would have known that that Zane would have submitted Carla as far as I know. That was crazy. If you really think about it, right? If, yeah. If you look at it on paper, Carla would be the favorite to get the mm-hmm. submission. Mm-hmm. And Zane would be the one getting a knockout. Yeah. So, but that's the difference. In, in MMA, anything is possible. Zane's a savage. This is an absolute savage. Yeah, I mean, definitely. it's. It, I I I, guess, I I would think it was something. It's something different to beat somebody at their own game. I mean, I've never. I mean, I've obviously never been in uh, an octagon or a ring before, but I would well, think that it would be point, at this point. MMA is so versatile that you got kids coming into the sport now that don't that haven't like. I guess specialize in one thing or another. Now it's they start MMA at, you know, eight, 10, 11 years old, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. And now they grew up in the sport. So there is no weak links. There is no yeah. gaps. And, and if there is, it's just because one person liked something over the other. But for the most part, these kids are learning the same. They're learning all the demands, all of the arts throughout the years. So there isn't any real specialists anymore unless you just took a liking to something, you know, early on, like let's say kids like to do jujitsu and wrestling, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's something different. But for the most part, you know, I would say 80 to 90% of the new era has come up with MMA only. So now there is no gaps, yeah. which is going to, going to create a large amount of, um, of good fights, you know, mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah. Well, Phil, thank you for doing this uh, podcast again. Um, I appreciate you. Tell everybody what uh, all, all you have going on. I know you have the your new kettlebell program. You just 
um, opened up your your mentor. Just tell everybody what you got going on. Yeah, man, all my programs are on my website. So theroofstrong.com, you can check that out. Go to my uh, YouTube channel, just subscribe there. I got a podcast channel too as well, The Roof Strong on all platforms. And uh, just check it out, see if you like it. Well, thank you again for doing this. Um, it's a pleasure as always. And everybody go check him out. Go um, subscribe to his YouTube, all that stuff. Show him some love. I mean, you know, like I said, you know, really, really intelligent guy that you just heard. Thank you again, and uh, best of luck to you in anything, any endeavors. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it.